Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Under the Macroscope. And uh, this is Skybound Capital's weekly podcast. This is the first of two episodes, which we're going to be running on consecutive weeks because it is a broad topic. And I suspect we might need even more than two in the medium to long term. But we're joined by Skybound Capital research analyst Josie Davis, who has a particular passion in the world of ESG investing and uh, the principles of responsible investing, which is a topic we're going to get more into in episode two of this podcast series. But Josie, it's great to have you on the podcast. I know this is a space that you are really, really passionate about. And for those who have seen this buzz acronym, I can't call it a buzz word because it's a buzz acronym, ESG, People will have seen it, they will have experienced it, they might not know exactly what it means. So that's the perfect place uh, to start. What is ESG? Uh, What does it stand for? And what do its components really mean in practice? Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And in the context of investing, it just refers to considering these factors alongside traditional um, financial metrics. So E, environment, uh, sorry, environmental, um, can refer to how business is, what a business is doing to mitigate their carbon emissions or the sustainability of their product or supply chain. Examples of social metrics can look at diversity and equal employment, and then also what a business is doing in the community with regards to community development activities. And then governance looks at the leadership and board of a company um, at issues like whether executive pay is reasonable and diversity at a board level. So the motivation behind ESG investing basically just entails considering more risks in your decision-making process. So make more informed decisions and it's actually been shown to lower the downside risk of investments um, while producing similar returns, if not higher returns than traditional um, investments. So just to clarify a couple of different terms that are floating around out there, um, there's kind of a spectrum on which you can implement responsible investing. So at one side, there's negative screening, which is the most basic form. So that really entails excluding companies from your investment universe that are in sectors such as oil and gas or um, alcohol and tobacco. And then ESG actually refers to how businesses are taking ESG considerations into their day-to-day operations of a business. And just to clarify how ESG investing is different to impact investing, um, impact investing looks more at um, companies that are targeting having a positive environmental or social impact alongside a financial return. So more looking at the end product or service that a company provides rather than ESG, which is looking at um, how ESG considerations are taken into account in the daily operations of a business. So yeah, a lot of terminology out there, which can sometimes get confusing, but I hope that provides some clarity. Yeah, a lot of terminology and also a lot of material out there. and expressing opinion in both directions. It's fair to say I've seen some cynicism expressed of late branding ESG as as little more than a marketing badge. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I think because it's become such a buzzword and there's been a lot of focus on sustainability in the investing space, it is often used um, 
as a marketing tactic to attract investors, which is fine if it's justified, but um, when the work actually isn't being done, it can be referred to as greenwashing, which is when companies or funds exaggerate or um, invent their ESG practices and policies. And this is where it's um, misleading and dangerous. And so I think that greenwashing is definitely something that one needs to be wary of and watch out for, um, especially at this time. And, and Josie, this is a space that, you, as I mentioned in the intro, you're passionate about it. You spend at least some of your time, I think, almost every day uh, researching the space. So in your opinion, uh, how do you discern the truth from the fiction in this space? So I think at the moment it's quite hard just because um, there's no standardized framework um, across like sectors and businesses where you can compare what com different companies and funds are doing on an equal level. Um, so I think that now with no standardized framework, it's being aware and not taking everything at face value. So looking, if someone's claiming that they're ESG compliant, it's um, looking at their ESG reports and then questioning things you think might not be true. But um, hopefully this is something that will be regulated going forward. Um, but at the moment, definitely poses a bit of a challenge. And, and just to pick up on something you mentioned, I think, right at the start, it, it, it's important to uh, tell people listening to this that, that ESG principles are things that you also you overlay uh, on top of existing investment principles. They're not, they're not to be seen in isolation. They're about um, additional things that businesses are doing. Is, is that fair comment? Yes, definitely. I think that something that every business needs to take into account is the sustainability of their factors and so environmental social and governance um, kind of headings are ways that they can look at sustainability and it's definitely in addition to um, other things like financials um, and everything it's definitely not a standalone thing that needs to be looked at in terms of viability of a business or investment so let's focus in if we can on the e for now the, the environment-focused investing. And presumably the most obvious place to start here would be uh, the world of clean, renewable energy. We've, we've seen so much in the media of late, uh, particularly here in South Africa, uh, about uh, the state of, of, of our energy, or, or rather the, the lack of it from time to time. Um, but a move away from reliance on fossil fuels has been a, a very important factor um, and, and macro issue the world over. What are you seeing in terms of real intent uh, in this regard across the globe? Yeah, so renewable energy is um, a really rapidly advancing field. And I think that in some regions, actually wind and solar power are the cheapest forms of electricity. Um, and I think this transition to renewable energy will be key in reducing global emissions. Um, but it really needs to come at a regulatory level. So if we look at country commitments to reduce their carbon emissions, um, the UK is a really interesting country to look at. They have some of the most ambitious climate commitments. So um, actually 2020 was a milestone year for them in terms of renewable energy. They produce more energy from renewable sources than from fossil fuels. And they also have the largest offshore wind power generation capacity, um, which they tend to, I think it's going to be four times bigger by 2030. So they are doing a lot. 
but in the overall context of things, the UK only contributes around 2% to global emissions. So while it's really important what they're doing, um, I think that looking at what China and the US are doing um, is also very important. They're the world's two largest carbon emitters. So China, their emissions are actually still rising. They've said that their emissions will peak by 2030 and then they will be net zero by 2060, um, which is about 10 years later than most countries have committed to. Um, so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. And then if we move over to the US, um, who's the second largest carbon emitter, Biden has said that he's going to do a lot in terms of climate commitments. So he has committed to be to reduce their emissions by 50% by 2030 and then be net zero by 2050. Um, in terms of renewable energy, he said that they will have a decarbonized power grid by 2035. Um, this, however, entails a lot of spending, which he has had trouble passing in Congress. So that's definitely something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, how how much of this space becomes a little bit of a political hot potato? Because you, you can have the best intentions in the world. And, and again, if I had to refer to the cynics, they would say that uh, some of our older political leaders can make bold sweeping statements about intent, but they themselves won't even be around uh, to see if, if that intent actually reaches fruition as it, and, and is implemented. And as you've said, uh, the, the Biden-Harris administration's intent has been severely curbed uh, in trying to get it through Congress. Yeah, so um, climate change has increasingly become a political issue as much as it is a scientific issue. So um, as I said, large-scale change needs to come at that regulation level, I think, where um, the, the needle is really going to be moved is when things like clean power standards are introduced and carbon taxes and banning petrol and diesel cars. Um, these things will really incentivize and change and will speed up the pace of the necessary change that needs to occur. So again, back to Biden and Harris, a large part of their campaign was focused around climate change. And it's really interesting to see the developments and how they're gonna implement this. So if we just look at the infrastructure bill that was passed last week, Biden's original um, proposal was $2 trillion and half of that was gonna to go to climate related spending and renewable energy and social causes. But Republicans really pushed back against that and said that um, those things don't fall under infrastructure and infrastructure is roads and bridges. So the bill that was ultimately passed was only $1.2 trillion and a lot of the climate spending was scaled back. Um, and so the spending that was approved is actually not consistent with the um, climate commitments that Biden has made. And um, so it will be interesting to see um, what he's able to pass in his budget. He proposed a $6 trillion budget, which is the largest budget ever proposed. Um, and it also entails a lot of climate spending. So um, looking at what he'll be able to pass in that. And then he's also mentioned that he wants to pass a human infrastructure bill, which will include the spending that wasn't approved in his traditional infrastructure bill. But I think that there will be a lot of pushback and what he has proposed in the spending um, will not be what ultimately comes to fruition. So yeah, really interesting to see if they'll be able to meet these really ambitious commitments that they've made.
And as with so many other macroeconomic factors, it's uh, often a case of all eyes on the US to see what they do and, and see how that triggers responses uh, around the world. Just one final point uh, before we close off this episode, because we've got lots more to talk about in episode two next week, is just the balancing act that needs to be achieved. You, you know, you mentioned uh, in that previous answer, the move towards the banning of, of petrol and diesel cars, uh, particularly in the UK recently, I've, I've read of, of those commitments, putting a line in the sand, uh, saying we will only be electric. Uh, but the balancing act there is, is the impact of batteries. And, and one, one's always got to, to weigh up the pros and cons of any situation. Yeah, I think that a lot of things that people take as sustainable at face value actually there's a lot of more considerations that need to be taken into account so as you mentioned batteries um lithium iron like a lot of minerals are used in those and so it's not always looking at just the end product it's the sustainability of the entire supply chain um and i think that's something that people often don't realize and so it's a lot more complex than um it often seems and it will be interesting to see how people try to tackle the different levels of sustainability. Yeah, you've used the perfect word there, complex. It, it, this is a, a space full of complexity, but it's one that needs continual and uh, updated research. We appreciate your work in this space and look forward to uh, part two of this podcast, which will come up next week, where we drill down into some more specifics. Uh, but for now, Josie, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Uh, don't forget that the Under the Macroscope podcast can be downloaded on Apple, Spotify, or the Google podcast platform for Android. And all past episodes of Under the Macroscope are available at Skybound Capital's website at www.skyboundcapital.com. Until part two of this discussion around ESG investing with Josie Davis, have a great week.